people. My friends, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm your host, Stephen Henning, and this is a podcast where my co-host, Dixie Lee Henning, and I prove that the more you get to know the normal people in your life, you discover that there really are no normal people in your life. Dixie and I are moving house this week. We have had probably a week and a half now full of packing boxes with dishes and sweeping up behind ourselves as we clean each room of this place renting vans, changing our address with the billion-some entities that end up with your mailing address over the course of living in an apartment for a year. You know, all these fun details. And in the midst of all this, recording the intro for this podcast episode kind of got away from us. So while Dixie's working on some packing tasks, I am just jumping on here to introduce my new friend, Mariel Mulford. Mariel and I met at a Beerlosophy event hosted by our very first guest on the podcast, Joshua Wallen. She and I instantly connected over self-identifying as Enneagram Ones and got to talking some really deep topics of philosophy and Christian theology in our very first time meeting. So I knew she and I were going to get along. And I figured it was about time that I got to know her better and have her on the podcast here. It's like a two-for-one special. I get to know her, and you get to know her. Mariel is just now starting a PhD research program at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California, where she will be researching the post-war recovery process after spending multiple years in Uganda doing work with underprivileged women and children with Hope Positive Africa. Thank you for listening to No Normal People. Without further ado... Get into it with my new friend, Mario Mulford. We are going to get started with rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Oceans or lakes? Right now, probably lakes. Rain or sun? Sun. Tea or coffee? coffee early morning or late night late night summer or winter summer beaches or mountains mountains marvel or dc marvel libraries or museums museums cats or dogs dogs pancakes or waffles probably waffles sunrise or sunset sunset sweet or savory sweet do you call it soda or pop I feel like both. Uh, Probably soda. Okay. Hogwarts or the Shire? (sighs) Hogwarts. Pizza or tacos? Tacos. Vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Books or movies? Mm, (laughs) I feel like I'll be betraying books if I say movies, but I think because I have to read so many books for school, I would go with movies because they're kind of a way to like switch gears, you know? So movies. 
Sweater or hoodie? Sweater. Handshakes or hugs? Hugs. Introvert or extrovert? Extrovert. Phone calls or texts? Phone calls. So that was the rapid fire questions. Next up, we are going to do just some more icebreakers, some fun uh, get to know you questions. So starting with a series of favorites, what is your favorite candy? I really like almond joys. Yeah, perfect combination of coconut and almond. Oh, so good. What's your favorite snack? I really like Lara bars. Favorite morning drink? I like iced coffee or a pineapple matcha drink from Starbucks. What is your favorite city? <sighs> Probably Seattle or, yeah, Seattle. In terms of bigger cities, yeah. like Seattle is definitely definitely my favorite. I lived there in college, so. Oh, excellent. has a lot of good good memories for me. What's your favorite novel? I think it's The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. Yep. Yeah, it's a story that's really stuck with me. I read it in middle school, and I've just come back to it many times and really love it. Oh, excellent. What's your favorite smell? Oh, my gosh. I love the smell of rain or like after rain smell. This is a classic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It just sticks to you. Or like fresh cut grass. Like I was on a walk yesterday with John and I literally knelt down and smelled the grass. I'm like, oh, I love the smell. Yes. That's great. (laughs) Because it just reminds me of like summer in Montana, (laughs) you know. Fantastic. What's your favorite TV show? Probably Parks and Rec. Yes. Fantastic. Well, this is so fitting for where you live too. Come on. (laughs) No, I know. I literally drive by City Hall and I'm like, oh, here it is. That's the, yeah. I feel like not a lot of people know that the outside shot of City Hall that's used in Parks and Rec is actually City Hall in Pasadena. That was one of the first places when John first came to visit Pasadena. I like, it was like one in the morning, we were driving home from the airport and I drove right past it and I'm like, Hey, we have to see this. And I stopped and took him and walked around City Hall just because I want I was so excited about that. That's so good. It felt like yeah. almost like a pilgrimage, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in some way. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, I like things with like pecan. So like we just got some butter pecan Ooh, ice cream, yeah. Tillamook ice cream from from the grocery store, and it's so good. Yes, excellent. So I like anything like that. Okay. What are foods you will never eat? Mm, seaweed, crispy things. Seaweed, uh, crispy. Like okay. The little snacks, like seaweed, anything oh, seaweed. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's in sushi or something, that's fine, okay. but like by itself. Ugh, oh, gotcha. And I hate raw tomatoes. I'll rarely really? eat raw tomatoes. Yeah. Wow. If they're flavored or cooked or something, they're okay. But if it's just like the raw taste, ugh, ugh, so gross. Oh. Who is the smartest person you know? And this could be either you know personally or you know of. One of the smartest people I met in my life is my college advisor, Dr. McKinney. She's a sociology professor at Seattle Pacific, and she just she knows so much about so many topics. And really, her classes really changed how I see the world. And yeah, she's she's amazing. So mm. I'd say she's one probably one of the smartest people I've met. Great answer. Love it. Do you have a secret talent? I can do the worm. Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah. Which I I don't know. It didn't seem like a big deal when I was like, yeah, like it's not a big deal. But apparently not a lot. Of, I don't know if not a lot of people can do it or they just don't try because every time I've ever done it, like at a party or something, everyone's like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I just can do it. <laughs> Love it. That's so good. But yeah. It's fun to pull that out sometimes. Strategically. Excellent. Absolutely. What was your first job? Babysitting. Oh, yes. Yeah, I've I've been a babysitter for many different families over the years. And 
yeah, dealt with a lot of different different kids, but oh, it's yeah. been good. Absolutely. It's been good. What was your first pet? Uh, we had a dog when I was very little. We had a husky named Smokey Blue. And then she died when I was pretty young because she was a little older, like from, you know, when I don't really remember her when mm. we ha- when she was young. So mm-hmm. then our actual like family dog that I remember was a yellow lab named Emily. And she was the best dog ever. And now we have a rescue named Sitka, who's also very cute and sweet, but very crazy and hard to train. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. But he's, he's like the kind of the quintessential rescue dog, but we love him. Gotcha. Do you have a historical hero? Yes, I have many. It's hard to pick one. Um, oh, I'll take your like top three if you can't <laughs> narrow it down. I really admire Oscar Romero. He was a priest in South America. I can't remember which country, which is sad. I think El Salvador, but mm-hmm. he was, yeah, he was murdered for his support of the oppressed and poor basically during the, you know, government wow. um, takeover. And he, he was actually like born in a, I think he lived a pretty privileged life for most of his life. And mm-hmm. then he was kind of converted into a, realizing the situation of the poor and he started becoming really vocal about it. And he was actually murdered like while he was giving a sermon. Mm. Yeah. So it's pretty, it's pretty dramatic wow. testimony. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's someone I definitely like, I think about. And um, yeah, I mean, Dorothy Day is another pretty mm. amazing mm-hmm. woman who was, you know, started the Catholic social worker movement and uh, was really outspoken about the intersection of faith and social change, which is where I kind of live now with my studies anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying to figure that out in my life. So people like that, that are really willing to be uh, radical for, for Jesus and for Jesus's children, which are people and especially the poor and oppressed. I think yeah. anyone who, who lives their life, you know, who, who radically lives out their values. And, and I think that's, those are the people that I look up to for sure. Mm, that's great. That's a great answer. I'm excited to get there then with all your studies and all your, yeah. your history. Very exciting. Okay. But first a couple more goofy icebreaker questions. Oh, I'm all about goofy questions too. What <laughs> is the worst fashion trend you've ever participated in? <laughs> well, um, in high school, my friends and I thought we were cool and we wanted to be seen if you remember what that means (laughs) i don't think i ever really knew what it meant but i just saw some pictures online of people with cool hair and skinny jeans and band t-shirts yeah so i I tried to rock the skinny jeans the band shirts and i would like wear these little headbands that are supposed to like hold back your hair but i would just wear them straight across my forehead okay (laughs) yes i wore like thick eyeliner and i straightened my hair almost every day and wow I don't know. I just, I mean, I wasn't super like emo, but I just, I tried to be like the cool chick who likes, you know, all the Christian rock bands and there stuff. You go. Fantastic. <laughs> Take selfies in the bathroom and all of that. Absolutely. So, yeah. I love that was, it. That was me. <laughs> I could send you a picture of that if you want to see photo evidence. But <laughs> the, sometimes friends like to go back on my old Facebook profile pictures. Yeah. And like, I really need to delete some of those because they were just ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Oh, very good. Oh, man. Okay, what is your biggest pet peeve? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I have a lot of them. Okay. Um, that was quite the inhale just now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I can feel like all the to... tension there. <laughs> it's 
hard to narrow down. Um, I think lately, maybe it's just, and maybe this is me projecting, but I, I just get frustrated when people aren't really aware of other people around them. Oh, okay. So whether that's like in a grocery store and everyone's on their phone or not really, and it's not just about like social distancing and all of that stuff, which is also important, but absolutely, just especially as in an age of disconnection, like when you are in public, like being aware of other people saying hi, yeah, like just making that little human connection, even if you can't smile because you have a mask on or you can, you can right. wave, you can say hi, you know, like just, just doing those little things that I think remind us that we're still human. And right. I think right now, like everybody's default is just becoming more and more like isolated in their own life. And um, and I do it too. Like I'm not perfect, but I think that that that's been frustrating is frustrating to me. Like if we're on a walk and we say hi to someone and they just like, don't even mm. like hear us. It's like, they're and not even with their wearing headphones, they just are like not paying attention at all. Right. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that's something I've been noticing lately. It's not like this. I don't know if how it ranks on my list of pet peeves, but that's something that comes to mind. Sure. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? When I was a kid, like I really loved the idea of like moving things with my mind, like Matilda style. Okay, yes. Um, yeah. But I don't know if there's that serves a big purpose other than you know <laughs> you could just bring bring something to you instead of getting up and walking across right. the room to get it. I don't know. A little bit. But of I the think force. flying. I think flying okay. would be really cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I just I, I love traveling and it'd be great to be able to fly without having to go on an airplane. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what would you choose for your last meal? I think maybe, I mean, you said tacos earlier, so now I'm just thinking about tacos. Mm. <laughs> I like tacos. Mm. So that would be a good one. And then I also really like sushi. So maybe sushi. Oh, excellent. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? As a kid, I wanted to be, I think, a doctor mm -hmm. or something, something in healthcare because my dad works in healthcare. And so sometimes I would go with him, you know, to the hospital and walk around and mm. smell the antiseptic-y air. And, I just loved it. I loved being there. I loved like the idea of, of that kind of environment. Um, I know it's weird because a lot of people don't like hospitals, but I think going there with someone who actually worked there, it wasn't like, mm -hmm. so I didn't go there just because of an emergency. You know, I went there as part of, you know, my dad's life, I guess. And right. so that was, it kind of brought a different side or a different perspective. So then, then I, as I grew up and got into high school, I started, I shadowed a few different healthcare professionals that I knew and it didn't really click with me in the same way as you know as a kid but but yeah that as a kid that's kind of what i wanted to be excellent okay last icebreaker here what would you consider to be your proudest achievement oh you know i, I don't know if this word really if proud really fits this this but i think something that i maybe been the most honored to do was my work in uganda mm. getting to work and i can get more into what I did there and you know later but I think that it was just an amazing opportunity that I felt like God just plopped in my lap and it was a huge a huge honor and privilege to be able to work with uh, the people that I worked with there and yeah. get to be part of the conversations and the the movements that were happening there was really really a privilege so I think that's definitely not necessarily an accomplishment although I mean I did a lot of work there but it, it was oh, yes, more about certainly I guess just just getting to be there was, was something I was really, I'm really grateful for. Mm, that's great. Okay. Well, that's the end of that. Mariel Mulford, thank you so much for being on No Normal People with me today. Well, thanks for having me. I mean, glad you chased me down after all these months. Oh, we, we <laughs> made it happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't, we couldn't escape it, but that's good. I'm excited <laughs> to be here really. Oh, it's great.
I did want to mention that in, I think our very first, yeah, it was our very first interview that Dixie and I ever did with uh, Josh Lou Allen Mm -hmm. in a conversation about the Billings beat. uh, We mentioned an article about the local restaurant, well paired starting a dating (laughs) app. And I just wanted to mention that you and John are the couple that we talk about in that episode. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yep. That was us. Yep. Uh, I had to mention that. And then I just wanted to, so I kind of tracing back the way we met. It's interesting to me because like very early on in my high school worship leading career, like in my, uh, my youth group days, your Mm -hmm. little brother and I got involved in playing worship music together at like two or three different churches around Yellowstone Valley here. Yep. And I don't think you and I ever met during this process. Uh, Yeah. I think I saw you like I remember seeing you around, okay. but I don't I don't know if we ever actually talked. Yeah, it may have been like Lance just saying, hey, that's my sister. And then we were all like, I, you know, yeah, <laughs> that sounds about right. But yeah, you and I yep. met. We met for the first time at a beer philosophy event that our friend Josh yep. again, our friend Josh hosted. Uh, I remember that night fondly because you and I finally met each other. And like John, yeah. John introduced us after you guys got married. And I was like. Oh yeah, I think I know you. You're Lance's sister. Like, you know, yeah. we kind of just like pieced that together all in one night. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. fantastic. All that to say, this is a really exciting interview for me because it's like, wow, we were like so close to like having our Venn diagrams actual cross actually crossing over in our lives, but yeah. it really only took until the last few months. <laughs> and Billings can kind of be like that too because I know, right? It's, it's it's a bigger it's bigger for Montana, but it's still small enough that you that you do run into people, but yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. sometimes it just doesn't click until a certain time when you're maybe your interests are more aligned or, or just you naturally gonna have similar friends or whatever. You know, yep. it just takes time. Yeah, absolutely. That's how John and I were. I mean, we we met in high school, but we didn't start dating until two years ago. So mm. it's a very long, interesting, very good story. Well, I'm excited <laughs> to hear that story too. Then, okay, that's enough of me piecing these things together uh let's get introduced to you mariel let's talk about where you grew up let's talk about i don't know maybe your church background if you want to touch on that basically tell a bit of your story from how you grew up and maybe to the end of high school yeah so i grew up in billings i was born in nebraska fun fact but i Mm. didn't live there very long i was i was there just as a baby and then my parents moved to colorado for a bit and then by the time i think i was two i was in billings so my whole you know, conscious childhood memories are in Billings. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then in seventh grade, I moved to Bozeman for just a few months and then that didn't really work out. So we moved back to Billings. So I kind of moved around a lot within Billings. Sure. Okay. But mostly in the Heights. So I've been, uh, so I grew up in, yeah, about Alkali Creek area and went to Alkali Creek Elementary and Castle Rock and Skyview. So all the Heights schools for those of you yep. who are in Billings yeah. or no Billings and went to a evangelical church in the Heights and kind of grew up in the suburban evangelical Christian world, which was an interesting thing. Um, There were some good things there. Uh, I was also really involved in Young Life. In high school, I did, you know, Young Life usually once a week, and then I would do youth groups. Um, I went to uh, 660, which it was called at the time, which was the uh, Faith Chapel High School youth group. So I started oh, going to okay. that yeah. my sophomore year. Uh, my friend Sam Fife introduced me to that 
church. And I'm so grateful because it was a really impactful community for me and made some great friends and really grew a lot in my faith in that time. Really started learning more about discipleship and just following Jesus in every area of my life, not just, you know, what you do on Sundays or on a youth group night, but actually integrating integrating your faith with every area of your life. That was something that was starting to become more real to me as I grew older. Faith Chapel was a really big influence in my life. Great. Good too. old Sam. Love Sam. Yeah. Yeah. He's awesome. He and I play D&D every week and it's fantastic. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. <laughs> will, you, yeah. will you tell me a little bit about your family growing up? Yeah. So my parents are awesome, Dan and Heather, and they raised us really well. Uh, my brother is name is Lance and he is two years younger than me. He now lives in Washington. Yeah, we just really close family. My grandparents, my mom's parents live in Billings as well. So we spent a lot of time with them growing up okay. and did a lot of outdoors stuff, hiking and boating with friends. We never owned a boat, but you know, the best thing about boating is just owning, having a friend who has a boat. You know, you don't actually have this to pay for it. This is very true. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we do that kind of stuff or, you know, we went skiing and you know, and on trips and just had a very close, very, very loving family and very like, honestly, very privileged. I mean, we had, we had a lot of opportunities to do, to do things mm. uh, within and with outside of Montana that mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for, but now, but realize, you know, the more I grew up, realized, oh, this is not normal for everyone. So I try to be humble, I guess, and how I think about that. Um, yeah. But I, I really, I think what I want, if I could communicate anything about my family is that they are very loving and they really, they loved my parents, I think raised us with a lot of trust and a lot of openness so that um, we could go and do our own thing. You know, we didn't have to check in with them all the time, but Mm. they trusted Mm -hmm. us and they knew that, you know, we would make good decisions. And I think for the most part we did. I mean, I, we, I didn't have any crazy party days in high school or anything. <laughs> there you go. Um, I mean, you know, we, I had a lot of fun with my friends, but it was, it was, it was good fun. Sure. I think. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Love it. So. Okay. So following high school and especially a lot of that, uh, kind of spiritual formation you were experiencing yeah. in young life and in like your youth group and your, your church environments, what happened after high school? Like, where did you go to college? What did you study in undergrad? Um, and what kind of got you there? It kind of all started with a short-term mission service trip to Mexico. I I took that with Young Life in Mm -hmm. high school and it was really short. It was honestly looking back, I think, okay, if I was leading that trip, I would have done X, Y, Z, you know, like it wasn't necessarily, I don't know, the best model for maybe short-term trips. But I mean, now that I'm kind of more into that that field of, you know, mission studies and everything. But, but all that to say it was, it was good in that it exposed me to the reality that my life was not normal. Mm, And mm -hmm. a lot of people in the world, most people in the world live in conditions that are more like, you know, rural Mexico than in conditions like Billings, Montana. Sure. And so I, uh, but I also really loved being there and I loved meeting people from a, a totally different culture and language and just like receiving, like being the, recipient of someone else's hospitality who isn't materially wealthy, but is very open and generous and welcoming. Like that Mm. was, that was really a huge piece for me. This woman on our trip, or uh, we went to uh, build a house and the neighbor of the family that we were building a house for, the man we were building a house for, she like cooked us this amazing soup and it was just so good. And she wasn't even being directly served by us, but she was 
grateful that we were just there and that we were serving her neighbor. And so she just made this amazing food for us. And it was a really like a transformative opportunity for me to just to see, I don't know how other people love and serve in given the means that they have. Right. Yeah. And that kind of opened my mind more into more of a global perspective and wanting to learn more about different cultures and doing community development work. And so as I went to college, I decided to go to, or I felt led to go to Seattle Pacific University. I um, had a really great mm. opportunity there. And even though it was kind of scary to go somewhere new where I didn't know anybody, yeah. I had zero friends that I took with me, but I'm actually grateful for that. I'm really grateful for that now because I made just so many amazing friends there. Oh, okay. and connections yeah, it was a that, stretching experience for you. Yeah, great. definitely. And, and just putting me in a room with people who had similar backgrounds in some ways to me, but also were really open and wanting to learn more about the world. And that was really just, yeah, really an amazing time in my life. So I ended up, I decided eventually to major in sociology and I got a minor in women's studies. Um, so I became really passionate about social justice and, and, you know, just by studying social inequality and systems and patterns and mm. history, mm-hmm. learning about the history in, in America of, you know, race and gender and class and all these different things that you hear about, but, and, and they affect our lives now, but I think people don't always realize how, how important history is in that process and understanding why things are the way they are now. And so you can't really have sociology without history. And I, and I really appreciated the classes I had and the exposure that they gave me to different pieces of our history that I didn't know about before that I wasn't taught as a kid and just really changed the way that I view not only America, but also the rest of the world. Um, so I was really grateful for, for my studies there and the friends that I made and the professors and people that really poured into me and were patient with me as I worked through my own stuff and processed what I was learning, which was very heavy sometimes because yeah. it's literally sociology is literally studying like the brokenness of the world and of people, mm. but also, but also studying how people interact and how pe- how things change, how societies change over time and how they can get better, how they have gotten better in the past. So it's not all negative, but it, you kind of have to, you know, you have to sit with the truth for a while before you can maybe see a vision for change or you know what I mean? Like it's sure, kind of yeah. You have yeah, to be absolutely. open and and realize what the truth of what has happened in our in our nation and in the world. So yeah, I imagine it was a really formative time. I imagine there was a lot of contrast in your mind while you're going through all these studies between your even your short time in Mexico compared to growing up in the Billings Heights area. Yes, I imagine that there was a lot of compare and contrast in your mind every time mm-hmm. you would touch on a new topic. Yes. And I also had some opportunities in college to travel. So I, I've always been really interested in Africa and wanted to go to Africa. So when I was, I think, 19, of 2012, I went to Malawi and I spent a month there with mm. a group from my school. And that was really an amazing opportunity as well. It was, it was service learning. It was really well done in terms of they, we took a class before we went about, you know, how to do a short-term trip without kind of bringing all these weird expectations to the trip that you're going to like change the world. Like, but also, you know, recognizing you can do something, but also being more, more having an eye for what God's already doing in that place, rather than thinking that you're going to bring all these amazing things to the place. Sure. And that really, that was really helpful for me. So I I spent a month there and then 
in the next year, my junior year of college, I went and I did a study abroad semester in Uganda. And that was a huge transformative time for me. That was mm. about four months that I spent there. And that was the longest time I'd been out of the States. It was uh, just really, really transformative. So I think having those experiences, which I can get into more too and where they led me, but that was, those were really helpful to, and I also did some service learning in Seattle as well, like with people experiencing homelessness. Sure. And I, I met a few like refugee families and, and learned more about that. And Seattle is just an incredibly diverse city and has a lot of beautiful things, a lot of structural issues and a lot of issues with homelessness, which are, you know, maybe getting more media attention today, but that mm -hmm. I was yeah. things that I was seeing, you know, seven years ago, eight years ago when I lived there. And we actually, one of the really cool experiences I had was we had a community, a, a tent city, if you've heard of tent cities. Yep. So we had a tent city community come and live on SPU's campus for three months, once in my freshman year, and then once again in my senior year. Wow. And that was amazing because I got to know people who are chronically homeless, but it's a dry campus. So like, you know, you can't be using drugs or alcohol to live there. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of guidelines. They have a lot of like self-regulation. And so it was more of a, a stable community for people who are maybe working or trying to get work or trying to just figure out their life, but they are just not able to afford housing for one reason or another. And, okay. and some who have been there for, on, for a long time and are a little more like chronically homeless. Everyone's kind of in a different place, but I really just got to know some incredible people there because I just go and hang out, you know, just go and yeah. share stories, yeah, or, absolutely. you know, just get to know people. And that was, that was a really incredible time. I think for a lot of people at SPU, because it's just cutting, helping you cut through the stereotypes of, homeless people or, you know, everyone has such different stories. Sure. So those experiences oh, yeah. were really powerful for me. Yeah, absolutely. Before we continue on this train of the missions work you've gotten involved in, especially post undergrad, I'm curious to know with the different places you've been around the world, especially obviously outside of the United States, what was your experience like as an American kind of showing up in these places and what have you learned about Americans that other cultures view us with? Hmm. Yeah, I, that's a good question. I think, especially being a white American, Euro American, there are a lot of things that I carry with me, you know, just invisible, sometimes invisible, sometimes more obvious privileges that I carry with me. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're, especially when you're a place like Africa, you, you have to deal with it every single day because you're constantly dealing with people's assumptions or people's expectations based on who you are and what they think you're bringing to the table. Okay. And it really depends on the relationship you have with someone. Of course, if it's a random stranger on the street, you know, they might think all sorts of things, but if, if it's someone, you know, and you have a better relationship with, then you can start to break some of those things down. But there is definitely for a lot of people in, in Africa, I think an assumption that if you're white, you're wealthy. Because I mean, okay. statistically, yeah. statistically, I mean, globally, comparatively, we are, even if we don't have a lot of cash, you know, if we or if because of cost of living and things here, we just do have more access to resources than a lot of the world. And yeah. so okay. there is a, a level of, of truth to that. But then there's, you know, the way that it comes to me personally, I'm like, well, I don't have $10,000 in my bank account, you know, yeah, <laughs> I don't, right. I've never, I never have. And, but then again, I have the opportunity to travel. I have the opportunity to live in a different country, sure. which most people don't. And so, 
even just the being there, being physically there shows some level of privilege. And so I think, you know, living in another country, I was forced to deal with that and be more cognizant of that. And uh, something that development workers, I think, are aware of too, is there the proverbial like plane ticket that you have in your back pocket. So even if uh, you yes. know, you're know you're committed to the work you're doing, if you have deep relationships there, yeah. if crap hits the fan, you can leave at any time. Right. And like, okay. like and as, as COVID is demonstrating, I'm getting emails all the time from the U.S. Embassy in Kampala and Uganda's capital saying, repatriation flight, repatriation flight. If you want to leave, you here's a flight to leave in, even though the borders are closed. So they're constantly wow. like advertising to all the Americans there. Hey, you can go home. You can go home. Why don't you just go on this flight home if your life is too hard here right now? And that's wow. like just a okay. in your face example of like, Seriously. we have these opportunities that, I mean, it's not like it would, I don't think they're, you know, giving you a free ticket, but yeah, but you know, if someone really wanted to raise the money to get to fly home, you, you, you probably could. Right. And that, and, and so because Uganda is in a pretty strict lockdown right now and they have been since COVID happened. So it, it's a really, it's difficult to be there right now. I can imagine, but you know, so if I was living there currently, I would have to deal with that moral mm. question of should I stay or not, mm-hmm. you know? And that's something that everyone has to kind of figure out for themselves, I guess, and their right. families. But yeah, so that's something that I think I was very aware of and something that it, it, it can definitely influence your relationships with people and you just have to be aware of it. I mean, it, it's not that it's an insurmountable barrier to having close relationships or anything like that. It's just, it's just something to be aware of. Sure. Wow. That was a great answer. Thank you for that. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into your post undergrad, uh, work that kind of launched you into your interest for your graduate studies. So what happened after graduating with your sociology degree? Just tell that story for me. So, like I said, I studied abroad in Uganda and that was incredibly transformative. Mm -hmm. The people I met there, I lived with the host family, which was amazing and volunteered with this really small local organization that was just volunteered students, basically trying to help the community around the university. And that was really incredible. I made some great friends there. And then, but I had no real intention of like living in Uganda, like at least right away. It wasn't something like, yes, I'm definitely spending my rest of my life here. Okay. You know, it was yeah. just a, it was a great <laughs> experience. And I thought, oh yeah, I'd like to come back someday and visit. Right. But at the time I was a little more thinking about the U S and policy and thinking, oh, maybe I'll go to move to DC and work in a think tank or something, you know, and, mm, and okay. try to big, think big picture and affect a lot of people. Sure. But I felt that God was kind of showing me through that experience that if you don't know how things actually go in a developing country, I mean, not, of course, every developing country is different, but if you don't know what it's like to live in another culture and to be on the ground and doing development work, you're not going to be able to make the kind of decisions that will help a lot of people mm, in the big picture. Yeah. And so I realized very quickly, okay, yeah, I need more experience in a place like Uganda. It doesn't have to be Uganda, but it might be. So I was open. And then the next year I went back for several weeks just to discern and kind of talk to different people about what they do there. And just to basically to see, is there a place for me here as a young white college graduate? Is there a place? Like, is there something that God maybe has for me to do here? And the answer was just resoundingly yes. I, I ended up meeting at a church. I met a, a gal who was working at an organization in Eastern Uganda in a town called Jinja. And it was, it's called a Cola project. And that was where I ended up working. So we met at a church. Mm. We had a great conversation about what they do. And it was exactly what I wanted to do. It was like, God just 
put into place this perfect, not a perfect organization because no, no organization is perfect, but it was, right, the, yeah. it was just exactly the kind of work that I felt really called to do. So uh, they work with a group of women in or different groups of women in, in various villages around Eastern Uganda and some in the Northern area as well. And what they do is uh, they have holistic development programs. So they start with a job training and they provide income and job, a job for women um, making different kinds of jewelry and weaving. And they had all sorts of vocational training and projects. Mm. And then they, on top of that, they provide like savings groups. So women can learn how to save and budget and take loans out from each other to start, you know, little businesses on the side or different things. And then they, we, would do like health training and different development training skills, lots of, lots of programs, lots of trainings. And, and, you know, once a month they would have a Bible fellowship if they wanted to go to that, like a, like a, basically a Bible study and they would sing together and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So it was basically trying to touch all the different areas of life um, and, and really empower and uh, encourage women. And really we were working with women who were pretty much at the lowest of lows on the social ladder. So okay. a lot of them were on, uh, not have, didn't have a lot of formal education. A lot of them were single moms, widows, caring for many children, some their own, some of, you know, others who have, they've kind of adopted mm-hmm. and really trying to provide for, for their families. And we basically, our goal was just to see, to see them to see them have confidence in themselves, confidence in who God created them to be and ability, the ability to live out their dreams and to provide for their families and their kids and and to be able to create real lasting change in those communities um, that would work against the cycle of poverty. Right. Wow. Yeah. So when I heard all about that, I'm like, of course I want to do this. I'm like so I have in. to yeah. be part of that. And so um, a few months later, the woman that I met reached out to me with a an opening. There was a job opening there. She said, Hey, you should apply for this job. And so I did and I got it. And a few months later I moved to Uganda. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> moved to Uganda and just hit the ground running in this organization. Yes. Okay. Yes. And how long were you in Uganda? I was there for almost two and a half years. It was about wow. two years and five months. Okay. Yeah. A couple of things that I wanted to touch on in this, this organization that you just described to me, it's Interesting to me, like I hear a lot about training and a lot about development and I'm very excited about that, that side of the things they're doing. It's interesting to me that you mentioned that it was only like once a month they would specifically do, I think you called it like Bible fellowship or something like where it was kind of a worship night or Bible study or however Mm -hmm. that was structured. I imagine there's a lot of uh, essentially discipleship work happening throughout the month. Um, But it's interesting to me that that event was only once a month. Um, because I typically think of, well, and maybe you can talk about this because it sounds like this organization was born out of Uganda. It wasn't necessarily some Americans transplanting to start well, something. Is actually, that true? It was, it was started by Americans, okay. but it was called, it was a you know, partnership. So okay. yeah. So it was always working alongside Ugandans, but it was kind of started by Americans, but it wasn't a, like a church. So, so it was, yeah. you know, okay. basically a Christian based or faith-based nonprofit, but not all the staff were Christian and it wasn't like, you didn't have to be Christian to be there. And, and a lot of the women, not a lot, but some of the women we worked with were Muslim. So it was, you know, one of those things 
things where we basically provide the opportunities and, and some, for some, it was more that it was like once a week that they would get together, okay. um, with their coworkers and, and, but for the part-time women, it was once a month. So it was always optional. Of course, you know, you can't, you don't want to force somebody to, try to listen to a sermon or sure, you yeah, know, absolutely. sing a song. That's not, that's not okay. But it was basically, we just wanted to provide that space for them if they wanted to, to learn and grow. And there was actually some really cool, even interfaith dialogue that happened in those spaces because yeah, Muslim would women would come and say, oh, in the Quran, it says this, or the Bible says this. And they would, they would talk about that. And yeah, we, we just tried to create space for everybody to just come and, and learn and grow together and encourage one another too, because regardless of their backgrounds, like a lot of them, I think had, had a lot in common in terms of, you know, their challenges and their dreams and things. So yeah, there was a lot of, I think some good things that came out of yeah. those meetings. Well, absolutely. And even with a background or different backgrounds, especially religiously, uh, you can still find common values that everyone's kind of uniting yeah. behind as the work yes. is being done together. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. That's so good to me. Okay. So in this time, what have you learned looking back at your time in this extended time in Uganda? This wasn't like a short term thing for you. This was right. This was just you up and moved, right? Yep. I'm curious to know what you've learned about global Christianity and maybe how do I want to phrase this? What you've learned about American Christianity through the lens of uh, Ugandan yeah, Christianity cool. or African, like, so I I, I yeah. don't love that Africa just kind of gets lumped into a monolith of like, yes. okay, the, uh, that one country yes. is just African. So that must be oh. all of Africa. Right. So like right, maybe you can right. speak to that as well um, because that's, mm-hmm. I think a misconception that a lot of Americans have. It's like, okay, so there's Definitely. Europe and we know that divides into this many countries, but then there's Africa and that's just Africa. Right. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. So it's actually the most, it's the most diverse continent in the world. Thank you. Yes. So maybe you could speak to that too. So I'm curious to hear about that, but I'm also curious to hear about, especially after a long-term stint spent overseas, spent in Uganda specifically, what have you learned about American Christianity and maybe some of the, uh, the blind spots that American Christians Mm. can grow up with? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a great question. And that actually, when I did my study abroad program, that was something we talked a lot about. It was a Christian program and they kind of uh, pulled a fast one on us, I, I think, not <laughs> of course in in, in uh, intentional, like a hurtful way. It was just, a, right. it was actually really good, but they were basically like, yes, come to Uganda and learn all about that. And once we were there, they're like, yeah, we are going to talk about Uganda, but this isn't a mission trip. You're not here to serve Ugandans. You're actually here to learn and we are here to serve you. And we're here to talk about the distortions of American Christianity that you might've fallen prey to because you probably grew up in the church. Ooh, I just got goosebumps. And it was like, yeah, it was so, oh, it was so good, but it was so, because it was a lot of American staff. It was a mix of Ugandan and and American staff and a, Absolutely. another guy's Liberian. So there was kind of a, you know, a lot of different perspectives, but that was one of the themes was let's, let's do some deconstruction here. I know that's a term that is thrown around a lot, mm-hmm. but it was actually really intentionally done and really like, I think gracious, but also intentional. Like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't like, Oh, American Christianity is the worst. And we're going to show you how much better it is in other countries. Right. It was not like that. It was, but it was really about, okay, how can we, learn to see the lenses that we've grown accustomed to viewing Christianity through that are not the same in other cultures. Yeah. 
and recognize there's some uniquely American tendencies that we have that can that can kind of pull our hearts away from the gospel and from the person of Jesus and like the model that he set for us. Absolutely. And that was really, really helpful because I hadn't really had those conversations before. And that actually was one of the, those were some of the conversations that led me to study sociology because I felt like, you know, when I got into the sociology classes later, they were a lot of the same kind of conversations too, because Mm. you're taking a bigger, you know, it's like, the people use the common example of fish learning to talk about water. Mm-hmm. So we're, you know, we're Americans, but we're learning how to talk about American society in a way that's a little more objective. Of course, no one's completely objective, but, right. but a little more when it's like removed. Quite literally like home base, home turf. That yes. You're kind of totally. Critiquing. Yes. So we talked, but the, but the, the being the gift of being outside of America and having those conversations was yeah. really, really helpful yeah. to me. Yep. We talked about sexism in the church. We talked about, uh, militarism and nationalism and how that can distort Christianity in America. Ooh, yes. uh, we talked about a lot of that kind of stuff. And and I think that really, oh, that was really helpful for me. It just gave me some language and some eyes to see things that I don't think are okay sure. in American Christianity. And But also it was through the lens of hope. So so some of the, th- the themes that we kept coming back to in that class were faith, hope, and love. Mm-hmm. And how do we just stay faithful to the gospel and mm. wherever we live. So so you can go back to an American suburb and li- be faithful to the gospel. It's just going to require something different of you than if you were in Uganda or in wherever, other country, any other context. Sure, like yeah. you just have unique, there's some unique idols or unique, maybe not unique to, you know, that no other one, church deals with that. But there's some specific ways that American Christians can, we, we can kind of feel our hearts pulled towards something else primarily i think because we often believe that america is a quote unquote christian nation and so right. we tend to we tend to see america or the constitution or the whatever as as on par or al- aligning with the bible or with yeah. the gospel yeah which it's, is just it's very not much true that we kind of just grew up being steeped in this idea that we are quite literally just god's gift to the world you know like (laughs) yeah 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 would you (laughs) i'm wondering if you if you wouldn't mind talking some specifics that you learned especially in this time around american christian nationalism and that militarism angle that you touched on as well i mean i think just i mean we're getting into it i mean i've I hope you're here for this because I want, I want, I'm here for it, but we can talk about this. <laughs> I mean, okay. So an example is I think some of the unquestioned support that American churches have for like the military. Sure. Yep. So if someone it wants to join the military, it, it's often, usually it's just seen as a great option or a good thing or, oh, wow, I'm so proud of you. Rather than like, let's have this conversation about, okay, what are you going to do if you get into service and you're in a situation where uh, your commanding officer makes a call that you think is immoral mm-hmm. or unethical? Right. What are you going to do? Like, are you going to listen to them because they're your officer or are you going to follow what Jesus has called you to do and and the things that you've been taught as a child if you grew up in the church? And I think that um, we've often like over-spiritualized a lot of the teachings of Jesus, so especially in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about being peacemakers. He talks about loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. And we hear those words and we're like, okay, we'll love our, we'll love our enemies in our hearts. But like, if they are coming at me with a gun, I'm going to kill them. Mm. 
And, you know, it's the, the disassociation maybe of body and spirit is part of that. The dualism that is actually more of a a historic heresy in the church was called Gnosticism. (laughs) That idea that we can separate our spirits and our bodies and that we can be spiritually one way and then physically or politically another. Mm. And that, that kind of stands as a critique too, against the rise of materialism, especially like beginning in the 1920s in America, like Mm. just this kind of obsession with image and, you know, just kind of like, you know, I might, be like this in my living room but as soon as i go out the door i have to be dressed this certain way i have to have right. these certain toys in my pocket you know like the iphone <laughs> or you know like it's yeah. all like status symbol and whatnot it's kind of mm-hmm. like just putting on this front which very much then i think that divorce with body and spirit comes a little bit when you can go shopping at a mall and you see like faceless perfectly shaped mannequins wearing the clothes you want to wear so as soon as you put on the clothes it's like you're teaching yourself that like uh, i'm just a mannequin like the body isn't me or like i'm not the body you know i have a body or you know right something like that right well i literally read in that study program i read an article that re-described going to a mall as a worship experience and like different stores as different temples like or different like shrines to different gods and used used religious language to describe the act of shopping and his whole point was uh, James K. A. Smith, Jamie Smith, who talked about that. And he's got a lot of really great work on embodiment and, you know, he- healthy habits that shape the things that we love. Yeah. And what does it mean to desire the kingdom and to live in, like a way that we actually love the things that God s- tells us to love or right. we love God yeah, absolutely. instead of just saying that we do yep. or, or, you know, singing it and then living completely differently. Mm-hmm. And so we, we did talk about that and, yeah. So consumerism is definitely another idol. I think that we get swayed to, and it's not That's that, good. you know, other countries have it all together. I mean, Ugandan Christianity has its whole set of idols as well, mm-hmm. largely that I think are shaped by Western culture because there's, you know, the whole health and wealth prosperity gospel that you might have heard about. Absolutely. Um, that's definitely a thing there, but a lot of that is directly stealing images or not stealing, but like taking images from the Western world of what success is supposed to look like and saying, Oh, if God, if, if being a Christian means, you know, that God loves you and God blesses you and wants to bless you, then blessing must look like having a car and having, being able to go on an airplane and having nice clothes and Mm. whatever. But like those things are, you know, often directly influenced by Western media. And then there, those images are passed into very poor congregations that are never going to likely be able to have those things. Sure. But then, but then they're taught to want those things as a sign of God's blessing in some context. I think that's what happens. Okay. And yeah. thankfully my experience with actually like the Christians that I knew in Uganda were not that way at all. Sure. So I'm not saying that's all Christians in Uganda, but I'm, I'm just using that as an example of the possible distortions that can happen in any context. Yeah. But I think especially the, the issue with American Christianity is because we have such a platform and a voice, mm-hmm. whether it's through through social media, through books, through, you know, all these different medias that we like assume are normal. Like a lot of cultures don't have the resources to be able to just print a bunch of books and put out a bunch of podcasts and, you know, all these yes, things that we we're absolutely. like used to. Right. And so a lot of them like will import stuff from like America. And so I think that, you know, being being white, especially, or being American in general can give people this sense of like authority or voice, or, or at least other people can perceive that. Mm-hmm. And um, not everyone, of course, but thinks that way, but, but it can happen. And then, so it just puts an, especially like an onus on American Christians to be responsible in how we 
live out our faith and how, especially if we live in other cultures, how we model that to others and having humility as we model our faith to others, because people are always watching because we're very visible. Like our skin is, makes us very visible. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that we're not from there. And so I think that, it, it, you know, there can be an unhealthy power that comes with that. But if you just are cognizant of it, it can also be turned into an opportunity for some conversations of actually these are mistakes I've made in my life, or these are things that I've had to unlearn because I'm from America. And what about you? Like, what are you learning or unlearning? You know, what, like, how do you see your culture aligning mm-hmm. with the gospel or not? Right. And, and having those conversations with people, if you live in another country, I think are, is really, really amazing Man, that's, and important. That's so good. You're making me think a lot about uh, the book of Daniel right now in the old Testament and how, huh. Yeah. How yeah. those guys and how Daniel, like they had this calling to be in Babylon, but not necessarily like bow to the golden statue of Nebuchadnezzar, yes. you know? And yeah. I, there's this, there's this sense I get that we as American Christians have to relearn a hermeneutic of the Bible to really help us realize that we, like we can't as American Christians read ourselves into the plight of Israel Yes. Instead, uh, we yes. have to understand that we are part of the superpowers of the day, whether yes. that be Egypt, Babylon, Babylon yes. Rome. Like yes. we are those guys. You guys, we can't. Yes. We, we can't are, read we ourselves. Are <laughs> we are never, as Americans, uh, this might change. Like, uh, you know, see how the the future goes as as right. we know empires rise and fall. But in our day, Americans, like we cannot read ourselves into the underdog narrative. We are never on that side of things. Like we are Egypt, Babylon, Rome. Like we have to deal with being citizens under Pharaoh and under Caesar. I mean, that's, that's what we have to understand is like, we are on the part, we're on the side of superpower in this whole narrative. And that's, that's one of the main things I've had to deconstruct about being an American and a Christian. Thank you for listening to No Normal People this week. If you like what you're hearing, the best place to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts or Facebook.com, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a one or two sentence review. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NoPeoplePod. That's K-N-O-W People Pod. Also, be sure to use our hashtags, NoNormalPeople and hashtag KNP. If you haven't been there in a while, we have a newly designed website over at NoNormalPeople.com. And while you're there, you can check out the store where we have podcast artwork featured stickers. And coming soon, we'll have a locally roasted and packaged No Normal People coffee blend. Hi there, my name is Dixie Lee and I am the host of Authors Intent. As a movie addict and book enthusiast, I both love and hate the decisions some directors make in book adaptations. Join me as we go through the best books this world has to offer as we dive into what the author intended. We'll talk about the things that were done well, as well as some of the major faux pas in some of the most beloved stories. Season 1, Episode 1, we will be diving into the wonderful world of Harry Potter, starting, of course, with the Sorcerer's Stone. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at Authors Intent. And a special thanks to Louis Zong for the use of his song Melody Meadows off of his album Levels.
Oh man, there's a lot of stuff we can go here, but we have so much more to talk about with you specifically. <laughs> so thank you for indulging me on this, on this. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm always down to talk about little American uh, off ramp Christianity. Absolutely. Yeah. But so let's talk about what happened after your long stay in Uganda and what brought you back to the States and what got you into Fuller Theological Seminary. Yeah. So about a year, a little more over a year into my time in Uganda, I I started feeling that I needed more training and more just formation as a person because I was starting to hit cycles of burnout and then I'd go mm, back home for mm. a few weeks and I'd feel better. And then I'd go back to Uganda and I would get burnt out again. And I just, I started to do that repeatedly. And I also realized I just I just need more education and like development skills and methods and theory and all the things that I was trying to put into practice. And I was learning a lot there, but I just felt like, okay, there's something I need another piece. There's some more, more pieces here that I need. Yeah. And so I started looking into Fuller. I had been interested in Fuller before I moved to Uganda. So I started looking into Fuller and feeling kind of drawn there in that direction, started reaching out to them and it got accepted. And then I moved back to the States at the end of 2017, uh, started seminary a few weeks later. Um, and then I moved to California to be on campus in the spring of that year. So moved to Pasadena, started on campus classes. Yeah. And I just, I felt like I was, I was needing a, needing a break, needing some a rest, a time of rest, but also getting needed a time of new newness, new teaching, new thoughts to swirl around in my brain, you know? So, um, I really felt a a door opening for me there and it was very clear from God, like, yeah, go to Fuller. You need to go there. I was like, okay. Mm. So, um, even though it was strange because I, when I moved to Uganda, I was really open. I didn't have like a timeline. I knew how long my contract was, but I didn't have like a set sense of, yeah, I'm only going to be here for a year or I'm only going to be here for two years. It was like, okay, "Okay, I'm moving to Uganda. We'll see what happens. I'm just, I'm here. I want to be here. And then, you know, felt that kind of shifting, which at the time didn't know all the reasons for, of course, but, but now that I am here and I've been here for as long as I was in Uganda, I've been Mm -hmm. back in the States now, which is really weird to think about, but I, yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, there's so many things that have happened the last few years, namely getting married. That was a huge thing. Absolutely. Getting married to my, my high school crush, John Mulford. Shout out. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> one of my high school crushes, but definitely the most enduring one, sure. of course, because I still have a crush on him. So oh, beautiful. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's yeah. how it should ten, be. <laughs> 10 years, 11 years later since I met him. And uh, we actually met in, we, we, we were around each other as kids and youth in like childhood Sunday school, but um, okay, we yeah. didn't really know each other then until we met when we were 16. So yeah, that's a whole long story, but beautiful. God totally brought us together about two years ago and we got married last May. So it's been a really incredible journey. And now we're back here together. So I, I moved back to Montana for a season because of John. And when we got married, we spent a few more months in Billings and then we moved here in September. So it's been kind of a back and forth journey between Pasadena and Billings, but it's yeah. been really good and totally worth it because we're together. And, and that was just a beautiful, unexpected gift in yeah. my life. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, you gained a teammate, yeah. right? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's and it's totally changed me. I mean, you know, marriage just, it really changes you as a person having that same, and one person there to always be in partnership and bounce ideas off of and oh, learn yes. from them, how they see the world. It's just completely morphs you as a person. And I can't even like, it's hard to extricate, ex, is extricate a word? I don't know. Hard to take myself out of 
who I am now being married to John and then think about like pre-marriage who I was. It, it's yeah, just, yep. it's like, th- they're like different people. <laughs> yes. No, absolutely. I, so. oh, <laughs> I could talk about marriage for a while because I, yeah. I met Dixie and we started dating my freshman year of high school. And so, so quite literally, I'm just a completely different person now yeah. from when I was like, she's the only person I've ever dated. Yeah. Which is just like a tremendous privilege and an honor for me. It's yeah. like, got it in one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I love that. No, um, you guys are great. Oh man. Thank you. So let's talk about school. Let's talk about what you studied for your master's. Cause I, as I understand yeah. it, you were just about to graduate like this. Yes. You're in your last Almost class. There. Okay. Yep. So what was the focus of your master's degree? Yeah. So it was intercultural studies, um, which is primarily missiology. So missiology is the study of mission. Okay. And there are a lot of missiology is really interesting. It's very interdisciplinary. So there's a lot of different, a lot of different fields of study that I pull from in my classes. Uh, we, everything from anthropology to like theology, biblical studies to church history, mm-hmm. uh, mission history. I mean, sociology is there, culture, you know, anything to do with people, basically anything yeah. to do with people yep. and the church and how the church has been expressed in different ways, in different contexts over history and today mm-hmm. is kind of the focus of of missiology and intercultural studies. So that it was very broad and there are a lot of different pieces. Um, I mean, I studied, I did, took a class on biblical and practical peacemaking, which was really incredible. Wow. I took a class on evangelism and learned about, you know, how evangelism looks different in different cultures because people have different if you, different issues or different ways of, of understanding their own brokenness. Yeah. And yep. So that changes how we talk about Jesus and, you know, why he is the answer to our brokenness. Right. Yeah. So, you can't just, you know, like, lots of different, you can't just roll into <laughs> Russia with our American hangups of like yes, how we consider right. ourselves sinful and in need of a savior yes. and just kind of like right. force them to accept that before they accept Christ. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I could definitely yeah. see. Yeah. So just lots of different, different topics and, yeah, it's been it's been a lot. It's been a lot to juggle with other areas of my life, but I'm grateful for the foundation that I have because I feel like it gave me a really great I mean, it just gave me a great foundation for what I want to do with my PhD, which I you haven't mentioned yet, but yeah, I started a PhD this summer. Yeah, so I was that's just my about new, to get there. You, new venture. <laughs> you're at the you're at this crossroads now where it's like one yeah. like you're just about to click the door close behind you on the masters but you still are in this last class and then you're stepping yep. into a phd program yep okay so yep. yeah so I'm i sorry. actually started my phd at the same time so i, wow. I started it this summer so i've been one research methods class for my phd and one anthropology class for my master's so okay yeah overlapping the two and just starting to ramp up i mean the research methods class is great but it, it's pretty introductory and it's pretty basic just helping us get oriented to the program and sure. what we're going to go through in the next four or five plus years depending yeah. on how fast i get through it or not it's going to be a very big adventure and right. i'm very excited but i'm also very it's, it is very intimidating because you're looking you know basically i'm at the bottom of a mountain looking up at yep at, you know, Everest or the Grand Teton yes. and you're looking and you're like, oh, how in the <laughs> heck do I ever get up there? Right. Like I cannot envision that. But then you know that people have gotten up there and there's a path to follow, though everyone's path is slightly different. And there's not like 
one way for mm. me to do it, but it it is just going to be a process. You sure. Know? So I'm what, excited though. what are your hopes, goals, visions, dreams for the PhD program? What are you hoping, hoping to research? Yeah. What are you hoping to study? Yeah. I'm so excited to talk about Let's this. Let's get into <laughs> it. I get so I get so nerdy. Um, Let's get into so, it. So, long story short, when I was in Uganda, I I worked in Eastern Uganda, but I am very specifically passionate and excited about what God is doing in the northern region of the country, and specifically in the Acholi region, which is there's a few different districts in northern Uganda. It's close to South Sudan. If you guys want to look at a map, okay, Gulu is the main town in that region, and there's a few different districts. But basically, it was the epicenter of the LRA war. If you've heard of that, the oh, wow. Lord's Resistance Army. Yeah. So okay. from the mid mid 80s to mid 2000s, hmm. Joseph Kony was one of the leaders. He kind of became famous, infamous a few years ago through um, different organizations primarily invisible children though that was a whole thing then i don't want to really go into that it was Damn. not great yep. but but there are you know exercise your google brought... muscles if you're curious yeah yes yes anyway that happened but one of the things that you know their work did was expose me to the lra war and what it was what was happening there what has happened there in the last 40 years in northern uganda and okay, yeah. really piqued my interest in that area of the country so when i first went to Uganda, when we went up to the north for a, a trip, a short, like a weekend trip, I I loved being up there so much. Mm. And I, ever since then, every time I'm there, I just feel like a sense of home. I feel like a sense of connection to the people and the culture, the language I'm, I'm trying to learn. I mean, not actively right now, but I've tried in the past and I want to try in the future to become fluent in Acholi language because it's, it's a really beautiful language. And the people are just I mean, the fact that they're still surviving after 30 years of basically forced genocide. Mm, yeah. You know, basically they were in between a rock and a hard place between the the insurgency group that was from the that people group, but they kind of turned against them because there wasn't this mass uprising that they wanted to see happen. And so they started attacking their own people. Sure. And then you had on the other side, the government of Uganda, which was allegedly supposed to fight the terrorists, but actually ended up abusing and fighting a lot uh, and killing a lot of of just normal local Gosh. people and so yeah yeah there's a lot of land grabbing there's a lot of cattle theft a lot of just systematic i mean basically genocide is the only appropriate word for it and so the yeah. fact that they're still existing as a people um and not not just this tribe but there's other tribes in the area that were directly impacted as well i'm just for myself i'm really specifically focused on that tribe and the fact that they're still existing is just a miracle yeah, and the yeah. fact that there's anything good there and there are people who have an incredible incredible love and faith and hope and story and wow, passion yeah. like which is there and i have friends there I've, I've i've seen so many good things there and so the fact that they are still doing the thing being who they are created to be is just amazing and i i really so i really got interested in that area of the country over the last seven years eight years and has, you know, that interest is sustained. So for my PhD research, what I want to do is basically I want to research the post-war recovery process, which is a very big, huge thing. That's no, like, it's not like a straightforward process, but yeah, yep. a lot of people talk about conflict and conflict resolution and peace building, but then it's like, once the guns are gone, there's mm. not as much conversation about, okay, what happens next? Like, yeah, right. how do people recover how do put from this back together? decades? 
decades of of just daily survival and struggle and violence and trauma. Oh, yeah. And so to to overcome all of that and to actually rebuild a society in such a way that the cycle of violence doesn't repeat itself. Yes. That's a huge huge undertaking yes. and of course no one or no one group or no person can ever do that alone, but it's it takes I mean it takes a huge effort. So I I'm interested in that piece, but I'm, I'm specifically I'm interested in the role of social change movements and more specifically within that like women-led social change movements okay. and how yeah. they can contribute in a positive way to the peace building process and mm. the recovery process. Mm. So when I was working in Eastern Uganda, I started doing delving into social change education with the women that I worked with and basically just teaching super basic community organizing strategies and never forcing, never saying you have to do this, but really just giving them a roadmap of saying, okay, if you want to create some change in your village, like if you want to try to get it, your water well fixed, or if you want to try to fight domestic violence in your community, or if you know what I mean, like if you want to try to work against these things that you're seeing that are wrong, like what are some basic ways that you can get people together and strategize and work to try to create some change. Mm. And that, and, and it was, it was again, very simple, but, but powerful conversations that I was having with the women who some of them were already doing that kind of work in their communities and, but giving them like more specific tools or vocabulary to name things, I think was really helpful for them, I think. And I, it was really amazing for me to watch that process, mm-hmm. um, you know, regardless of what they did with that information, you know, I don't know all of that, but I, I was, I just loved getting to have those conversations. And so what I really want to do in my research is to dig deeper into like social change theory, strategy, history, different, different contexts and how, how people have, um, you know, worked to rebuild in in situations of conflict wow and um then see you know basically when i when i get to the point of being able to do field work i want to go to uganda and i want to ask people who are trying actively to create social change i want to ask them like what they're doing what's been effective what's not been effective what are the barriers that they're facing and and ultimately my question for myself and for for the church is how can the how can the church be like an effective ally and and be mm-hmm. in solidarity with with people who are especially trying to push for changes or or see changes happening that are in alignment with with Jesus and with the kingdom of God and God has an intention for humanity and for us to be doing and for for the world to look like because sure. the world is so broken it's got so many issues and we all you know do terrible things to each other all the time mm-hmm. but there are there are glimmers of light and hope and I want to see, okay, what are, where are the, the, there, there's a term called bright spot research that my friend was telling me about uh, mm. recently. And mm-hmm. basically it's looking for what's going well and not just looking at all the problems of a society, oh, but looking at okay. like, what are the bright spots? Where are the bright spots? Where are the, who are the people who are seeing changes yeah. and how can we learn from them? Because they're the ones coming up with the solution. And not that I can never bring anything new to the table, but mm. as a researcher, my primary job is just to investigate and ask what is already happening. Okay. And how can we come alongside that as the church, as the global church, and then like local churches as well? Um, how can they be an aid and not a barrier to justice in in their communities? Wow. <laughs> no big deal. I mean, that's all you want to do with a PhD. <laughs> 
I mean, not that. I, I mean, that's like the big picture, right? So, I mean, that's I don't great. know what my actual dissertation will end up looking like, but that's okay, yeah. the kind of area, the direction that I want to go. And yeah, and and really, ultimately, I want to be a resource person so that I can mm. go to different countries and contexts and say, hey, you know, and basically ask those same questions or similar questions to different people throughout my life, sure. and to be able to help them basically to be more effective or more intentional with what they're doing if they if they need it if they want that help yeah absolutely and you know you know money is not necessarily my primary goal you know fundraising or giving money but but obviously it's a thing and it needs to happen sometimes but but really i want to focus on like the strategy the relationships the the tactics people use Mm. and especially because i am very passionate about nonviolent social change and so i want to see you know people getting you know equipped to be able to live out i think you know what jesus tells us which is be wise as serpents and be gentle as doves yeah so be be smart be be sharp be aware of what's going on around you the power dynamics who's who but also be gentle like be gracious be humble don't you can't ever shame or belliger somebody i don't belliger is word but you can never force somebody into change or into like a heart change you know you can maybe force them to concede power Right. In some way. But right. but if they don't change as a person, coercion really never a, works in this case. No, yeah. it doesn't. I mean, it works maybe in some short term situations, but it doesn't it doesn't create long term social change. Mm. And I think that's what we're seeing in America is that a lot of structures have changed because of effective nonviolent social movements, oh. which is great and oh. a huge importance. Yes. And policies have changed and things, but there hasn't been that deep level heart change in some communities and in p- people who have power. And so policies don't get lived out the way they should. And Ooh. the structural, the structural yep. injustice is still present yep. in society. And yes, more policies are needed to try to counteract that. But if that's all we're talking about is policy change, it's just not going to be as deep as we need it to be. Yeah, and yeah, people are still going to be living in fear all the time yep. because you can say it's illegal to kill somebody, but then you have, you know, these guys who killed Ahmad Arbery and are, were still free for months. Yeah. Yep. And they killed him in plain, in, in broad daylight mm-hmm. and they, you know, pleaded not guilty. And of course there's a whole trial now. So it's, it's just, you know, that there's stuff, you know, you can always, you can put all the policies in place you want, but if, if people don't come to, to love their neighbors, to see people as God sees them, like mm. we're still going to have these, these injustices and these, these, this terror, you know, yeah, that's, that's just plaguing our society. We would be remiss to not mention then that the recent passing away of John Lewis here in America. Mm, yeah. I just uh, listened to a fascinating and extremely touching interview that he had done back in 2013 with Krista Tippett mm. on oh. on the On Being show. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to put a link oh, wow. in the show notes here because he talks about that kind of wise as serpents, gentle as doves, like as they were preparing to do their nonviolent work, especially like crossing the bridge in Selma, they would actually drill and actually role play Mm -hmm. being abused and being yelled at and being spit on and being hit. And they would never, they would never uh, intentionally inflict like lasting damage on the people they were role playing with. But he, he wanted people to have a physical experience of like, this is what it's like for someone to push you over and kick you at least once. Yeah. Uh, this is yeah. what it's like for someone to spit on you. And we need to train ourselves. Yep. Like it was a literal muscle that they were training in themselves to say, you don't respond to this. Like our entire protest yep. is nonviolent. And if it's not nonviolent, yep. then we're just playing their game, but we're refusing yep. to play their game. And like yep. 
Oh, it was so inspiring. Cause I honestly, I sadly wasn't very, uh, I, I hadn't known a lot of John Lewis's work up until he just died and he just kind of, mm-hmm. uh, became mm-hmm. a focus, um, yeah. especially on social media and, and other, uh, outlets. But, uh, listening to this interview, it was like, my goodness, this guy was there. Like he lived it. And then yeah. he was a Senator for how long, like actually doing then so- the policy work. <laughs> Like, yeah, my goodness, yeah. this guy is just a freaking. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Very, very, very inspiring. So mm-hmm. ultimately with your PhD work to bring it back here, is there any kind of like job title that you're going to end up with at the end of this? Or yeah, that's a good question. I, like, I do mean, you consider yourself a missionary or a researcher or uh, I don't really like the word missionary personally. Okay. I mean, it, it can be used. I mean, I'm not like militantly against it i just sure. i just don't use it really for myself okay. because it has a lot of historical connotations that are not great but yes um, maybe I, we could talk I about think, that too we'll yeah. get there yeah so i think i mean like i said i just i want to be an ally i want to be a resource person i want to be a cheerleader i guess of, of people in different places so sure. what that could look like teaching you know at a university or something like that it could be i mean my husband and i've talked about maybe starting a church someday somewhere mm, okay. and you know so it could even be just in a very localized context just day-to-day life being just trying to model discipleship it. and, and being, yeah. building relationships and and being part of of whatever god's doing in in a, a specific city or you know a town whatever village i don't know i mean i i don't I, not that, you know, one, one place or one type of lifestyles is better than another, but, um, you know, it just really depends on where God takes us. But I think, yeah, I mean, that picture is not so clear to me, but something I have thought about is, is maybe starting or being a consultant. So, um, Mm, working like starting, potentially starting a consultancy group with other kind of like-minded people from different backgrounds, different skill sets, and being able to almost like a development or ministry avengers i don't know like being able to come together okay. bring our different skills yeah. and like if there's an issue or like a specific ministry or a nonprofit or church is having problems just to be able to come along and encourage them and like help them to take a step back and see you know how they could improve or sure. how they can navigate different contexts especially when it comes to issues of like cultural diversity and equity i mean that's something that i'm really passionate about and have seen firsthand, you know, good ways to do it well, ways to not do it well. Okay. Yeah. I think that there's, there's a lot of tensions that come with, like I've mentioned earlier, being, especially being an American and living in other countries or working with people from other countries. And there's just a lot of tensions that can come. There's a lot of structural inequality that we're trying to navigate Mm. on an individual level, which is difficult uh, because you can't change the big picture systems by yourself and you can't change the history of what's happened and why you know one person has so few opportunities and another person has so many mm. i mean we can't we can't change all of that by ourselves but we we just have to be real with it and and say okay what can i do within the opportunities i've been given yeah and that's that's what i try to ask myself and and i'm still figuring that out i mean right. my day to day life right now especially is very tame at least on the surface like i'm doing my homework. I am, you know, kind of hanging out at home like everybody is right now and, or at least a lot of people. And, um, we would hope all, you know, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I'm listening to, you know, trying to listen to other, to watching videos and listening to voices and, and reading stuff for my classes or, you know, stuff on my own that other people have done. Sure. Trying just to, to, I don't know, like to 
to learn as much as I can in this time, because I do feel like that's, that's the invitation for me right now is to be a full-time student, which is, which I'm very grateful for. Cause I know not everyone has that chance, even mm. if they're in a school, like they're in part-time yeah. student, part-time, whatever else. Yeah. And I'm grateful for this time, but it, sometimes I get frustrated. I'm an Enneagram one, as we talked about earlier, but I want to say that for everyone. I'm right. an Enneagram one. Yeah. So I'm very like, I get very caught up in doing uh, and like yeah. being a good person, doing the right thing, doing what should be done. And especially in this time of rapid social change and movement and like it's it feels very chaotic and I want to be a part of it. I want to jump in the middle of the protests and whatever. But yep. I've kind of uh, trying to navigate, okay, how much of that is just me wanting to be involved or like maybe out of a sense of guilt or sense of like, Oh, you know, okay. and obviously I am passionate about, about, you know, I'm passionate about social change and racial justice and all those things, yep. but I'm just trying to figure out what's my role in this right huh. now. And I don't know, like, I, I don't have a clear answer. I mean, I'm, I'm on the board of a nonprofit that works in Uganda. It's called Hope Positive Africa. And we, we do, you know, support, especially women and children in Uganda and Rwanda that are, um, especially right now in pretty difficult situations with the lockdown. Wow, so, yeah, yep. you know, our, our staff have been raising money for COVID relief and, you know, doing things like that. So there's, you know, some, some in very small ways, I'm trying to like encourage and be part of that work, but mm. I'm always kind of thinking, oh, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's That's that an easy constant loop struggle. To get stuck in as an Enneagram yes. one. I can definitely relate. Yes. I, I identify as a one myself and yeah. I, yeah, I think like getting into those, those thinking loops, like, being being a thinking repressed person that's not to say i never think more often it's i overthink and then i never do yeah uh, what especially when i get into that <laughs> unhealthy just yeah oof, yikes yeah. yeah i can i can totally feel that with you um i'm curious to chase down this thread here that you mentioned in passing you you sounded hesitant to use the word missionary in some of the work you've been doing and i'm just kind of curious to uh get your thoughts on missions work in general, uh, especially because that was pretty much the focus of your master's degree. And, uh, I don't know. I think as an evangelical American Christian growing up, like in youth group, I always had opportunities almost every summer to go, go somewhere and like build a house or do kind of these short term things down in South America or something. And even growing mm -hmm. up, I had this weird feeling that that wasn't necessarily where I was being called. And, yeah. and I've been doing a lot of work as I mature in my faith, especially is like, just because that's not Stephen's work to do, doesn't mean it's not anyone's work to do. Right. Yes. But there's always been this like sadly skeptical part of me that thinks that especially Americans being missionaries has this weird distasteful kind of like colonialist, uh, <laughs> impulse to yeah. it. So I'm, I'm wondering mm -hmm. if, if you could speak to that a little bit and just kind of help me, uh, deconstruct my thoughts here. Yeah, man. Gosh. Yeah. There's so much to talk about there. I think historically there has been that tendency. I think it comes a lot from like un unreflectedness. Is that unreflectiveness? I don't know how sure. to say that. So yeah. Basically not, not being cognizant of our own biases and our own norms that right. we bring to another culture. I think that is huge. I don't think most, I don't know. I can't speak for most missionaries, but I, I don't think most people in general unless they're really 
kind of twisted and like, like go into another culture. Be like, <laughs> yes, I'm going right. to force everybody to do what I want them to do. But yeah. in the name of serving God, we sometimes get our own norms and, and ways that we practice our faith caught up with the way to practice our faith sure. or th- to, to practice Christianity. And so then when people do something a little different, it, it kind of throws up red flags for us. Mm, yep. And I think that just it's important not to be ashamed. I, I don't know if I'm, I would say I'm ashamed to be American because I didn't choose that. I was born here. I right, don't yeah. like I didn't come out of the womb just having, you know, I don't know, being ashamed, but I also think just being aware of our history, being aware of maybe what people's tendencies might, or assumptions might be about you, I think is just really important in how you engage with people and being just willing to ultimately remember that it's about God and what God's already doing Mm. in a place and not what we're bringing to a place. But if we can go to another place and recognize Hey, I think there's something good happening here. Let's be part of that. Let's encourage that. Let's see that grow and seeing like what God has already given the gifts that he's given to people in those cultures, especially if they do come to know Jesus and, and have their own faith and walk with Jesus. Like, I think we want to listen and and pay attention to that and look for something that is good. um, A really great example of this concept or somewhat a way that somebody has lived this out is a book called, the the book's called Christianity Rediscovered by Vincent Donovan. And he was a Catholic uh, missionary who worked in Kenya with the Maasai people. Mm. And he just saw the, the way that a lot of Catholic missionaries were doing things was just providing services to people like hospitals and schools. And it wasn't really getting to the heart of people's like worldview, faith, how they viewed God. Mm. It was just like a service that they were being provided, sure. which is not, you know, it's good to serve people, but it was just not, it wasn't holistically helping them view God in a different way or view themselves in a different way. And again, and here so, it's yeah. like, if you're not careful with it, your attitude can turn in, like I mentioned earlier, it can turn into this, like I'm God's gift to everywhere, you know, like (laughs) I'm just going to show up. And because I'm an American who has lived with this much affluence, like this is how schools should be built. And just like, yes, you're welcome. Oh my gosh. It's very like Maui and Moana, right? Just like, you're welcome. I just did that for you. Bye. Right. Right. So he really went against the grain there and, and really just started traveling to different communities just sharing, sharing the story of scripture and as much as he could translate it, you know, Mm. and and really just kind of starting from scratch in every community. And, and he said that people really didn't, they like, no one had ever really done that. You know, missionaries, they interact with missionaries, but they had never just sat down and said, Hey, this is what we believe, or this Mm. is what we think, who we think God is. Mm. And, and they had never just received this explicit invitation to get to know this God. Sure. And, 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 and not everyone accepted the invitation, but for those who did, they really started contextualizing what does it mean to follow Jesus in Maasai culture or or as a Maasai person. Mm. And that, and, and in community, it was always in community because they're very communal society. Um, It was always communal, was never individual. And that like, was really interesting. So it's just a very different way of thinking about faith than what we're used to in America, which is all about my personal relationship with God, yes. which is important, but it's not the whole picture. Yeah. And so there's also I like think, societal ways of relating to God. It doesn't, it's not, yeah, it's not as right. hyper individualistic as Americans like to make it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So I think that, um, we're just hearing stories like that, seeing people model those, like a, just a refreshing different way okay. of being a Christian in another place. I think that's really helped me, but also 
I think remembering that mission is not just something that's done in other countries. Because I mean, Thank for you. me personally, that has been a big, yeah. a big focus is being in other places. But I, I, ne- I never want to further that dichotomy for anyone listening that like in order to be a missionary or to serve God, you have to go to another country. I mean, that is completely false. And I can't emphasize that enough because there's people in Billings, there's people in Mm. Seattle, there's people in LA where I live now in the the greater LA area. There's, there's so many people everywhere that we go that that need to be loved. They need to show, they need to know that God cares about them Mm. and that they matter. And, and I mean, that's why, you know, the phrase black lives matter is so resonant right now for many people because they haven't always felt that their life mattered, that their story yeah, mattered. That's their lived experiences to, that they might feel less yes. than. They don't matter compared to. Right. Yeah. And people. so yeah. I think if we can just show people that they do matter, mm. if we can take time to listen to them. And, you know, I'm not always great at this, but I, I, I just want to be attentive anywhere I go. Yeah. So, you know, in Pasadena this year, I worked at a maternity home. And so I tried to, you know, in the way that I could through my interactions with the women mm. and the babies that I worked mm. with, like just show them you matter, like your story matters mm. and give them space to just to share and to be real and to be honest with where they're at. And, you know, whoever I meet, I, I want to be that kind of person. And mm. that I think that is mission. Like, I think at the heart of it, that's what mission's about. That's so is, good. Is, yeah. So, I mean, that can happen literally anywhere in the world. Well, yeah, as, as you revealed in, uh, you know, kind of inviting a tent city situation on campus in Seattle, yeah. like the, yeah. the work can be done here. And I think that's always been my uh, the root of my skepticism. It was like, okay, I'm going to raise $2,000 just so I can get a plane ticket and then pack up for basically what sounds more like a camping trip down in Mexico right. to go build right. like a, an extra classroom on this school or something. Yeah. And at the same time, it's like, okay, if 20 students raise $20,000, we have this much money. Why don't we rebuild the school here? The elementary school that is also right. falling apart here in Laurel, right. Montana. You know, like that's, that was yeah. always kind of my, like in the back of my mind, I was like, I don't feel like this is the right thing to do in this case. And I think yeah. for me, like the, the call to love our neighbor as ourselves, I think in a hyper-connected world, like we have now, like we can see pictures of someone just like traveling in Africa, you know, like they can, they can post a picture from Uganda and I can be sitting in my living room here in Billings and be like, Oh wow, my friend is in Uganda. But like, I think if, if we didn't have this, it would become a lot more clear to us that our neighbor is quite literally our neighbor, you know? Yeah. And yeah. And and that might be some of that skepticism as well. I've, I've been really kind of praying through that thought process in me and just being like, okay, just, just because you are not called to this kind of international work like Mariel Mm -hmm. is just because, (laughs) just because it's Mariel's work and it's not Steven's work. That doesn't mean it's wrong work, you know? Right. Right. You know, just kind of having having the humility to step down and just be like, okay, yeah. like I'm I'm doing what I do, she's doing what she does, and we're right. both like a part of this body that's functioning as a as a unit. You know, like we're working together yeah. for a global end, global cause, you know? Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And there's people from other countries that are coming to America to serve Americans. Yes. Yeah, be, we never think about that, God's do we? Loved, oh man. There's I mean some people call it rever- reverse mission or whatever, but it's, yeah. it's missions. It's really just missions from everywhere to everywhere now. And right. that's like, there's international students here in, in my, my community that I live in um, on Fuller's campus that are mm-hmm. a huge blessing to, to me and to so many people. I mean, they just are because of who they are and their faith and they're mm. like, they're just 
amazing people. And they didn't necessarily come to Fuller for me, but they sure. came to learn, but they also, I mean, they're just being themselves and that's so, a blessing to me. Yeah. It's so funny that we would call it reverse missionary. Like that just, that just kind of betrays the fact that we think yep. that we should yep. be the missionaries going out instead of letting yes, others exactly. in. Exactly. You know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> like, of course we would call that reverse missionary. <laughs> right. I mean, I really think if, if people are listening to this, aren't Christians, like I, mm. I get, I really get the criticism of going to other countries when there's issues in America. Too. Sure. Like I a hundred percent. Yeah. I get that. I hear that, especially when it comes to like people who kind of patronize others from other countries or yeah. like look down, like, yeah. Oh, they're so, they're so poor, but they're so happy. Bless oh. their little heart. Like, but yeah. And then, and then when it comes to like people of color in America, they like don't care about them or they have an indifference right. or a, a dismissive attitude to their problems yeah. as if they're like, it's not some of the same factors that are keeping people in poverty in America versus keeping someone in poverty in right. Ecuador or yeah. Malawi or whatever. Yep. So I understand all those critiques. I'm very aware of them. I think about them too. And and people within the church are talking about them too. So mm-hmm. I just want to say that for anyone who's listening, who is thinking, oh, this person just wants to go to Africa and thinks that that's so much better. No, like right. I think it really is like, I can't say that enough. It really is about wherever you are, just like loving people and being being Jesus to them. And if you're not a Christian, like just, just loving them in the way that you can and, right. and like honoring their humanity just and seeing kind. that you guys are the same, that we are the same. We're like, we're, we're all humans and we're all trying to survive and trying yes. to, trying to thrive. And, and, and not everyone can say that they're thriving. And, you know, so finding ways to encourage other people, mm. you know, using a skill that you, or gift that you have, I think that's really um, what anyone can do, whether, regardless of their faith. But especially if you're a Christian. I mean, I think it really comes down to what, where do you feel called? And if you do feel called somewhere that's not America, like just being aware of what you're bringing to that place, good and bad. Right. (laughs) And, and I think just having a huge, just really being humble, I guess, as much as you can in everything that you do, realizing that it's not about you and it's not, and and people aren't there for you. I think. So good. Thank you for thank you for chasing that train of thought down with me. I was I'm very glad that we got to get there. Yeah. So to kind of pivot the direction of the conversation a little bit, um, we mentioned that you're an Enneagram one. We mentioned that you are also like a full time student at this point and that your daily life has been a lot of homework, a lot of study and stuff. Let's talk about some particulars in your daily life. Do you like to follow any morning and evening routines that keep you healthy, keep you grounded, keep you whole? Yeah, I so like I said before our conversation officially started, I I do have morning routines that I appreciate and that help me, but I don't always do them. Yeah, <laughs> so I also like sleep or I get up and I get distracted mm. by social media or something that's going on, yep. and I just oh, kind of get into morning. my own world. Yeah, so um, but ideally, I like to get up at a decent time, you know, around I don't know seven thirty, and it's not super early, but not super late either. Mm -hmm. And I like to get up and I like to just spend some quiet time. I like to pray. I like to read. I'm reading a book right now called A Praying Life. I think it's called by Paul Miller. Okay. And it's really good. It's really, I I don't like, I I never agree with, you know, every theology book ever, whatever, but I, I think it has some really good nuggets in it of just being honest with God, not trying to perform or trying to like live up to some religious expectation, but just to be yeah. who you are in yep. front of God and just say, Hey, this is where I'm at. And just be, not being afraid to pray through anything or in mm. any situation. And mm. that 
it's just been really refreshing to me. Um, my mother-in-law gave it to us, so gave it to John, and then I stole it from John. To oh, read. great! Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, shout out to Nyla. Thank you for books make the best gifts, don't they? Yes, she's great with gift book gifts too. Uh, so my my I, fantastic yeah. mother-in-law every Christmas just asks me for like a list of the top ten books on my want to read list, and then she just oh, buys me three awesome. of them. She buys that's me three so of them great. every Christmas. She's like, that's I know amazing. this is what you're about, so. That's so great. It's spectacular. Man. Okay. So you wake up, you pray, you read a little. Yeah. That, that helps me kind of have a more grounded approach to the day sure. and, and helps me maybe filter things that happen through a lens of like prayer and just, just, yeah, feeling like more centered rather than scattered or mm-hmm. stressed or like reacting to everything that happens. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Cause I easily get into that mode too. Yeah. Anything you like to do in the evening as you wind down? I mean, I, I, ideally, I think I would also like to read or kind of just have some quiet time. Yeah. I don't know. That doesn't always happen. Usually John and I just stay up and, you know, we're on our computers or we're watching a movie or we're doing something until we just get super tired and go to sleep. And I, there you go. I think that, I don't know if that's really the healthiest evening. I need to start. Well, some, I, I did. I was doing like some regular yoga for a while in the evenings and that really helped. Oh, so I think I, I think stuff like that is just, you know, I think I, I found a great instructor that I feel like is helpful and she her name's caroline caroline williams and she does like like scripture meditation okay. in the midst of yoga yeah. so it's like it's actually like reflective intentional oh it's not just poses or or you know breathing but it's also like praying and thinking through your day or Great. you know things like that that are really really cool mm-hmm. really helpful so you've mentioned you've used the word ideally a couple times through that <laughs> <laughs> yeah through that idea me. well uh, like that's an, a very enneagram one thing to do like i can definitely relate yes. to like ideally i'm doing i'm doing all of these <laughs> things you know like i have a checklist yeah. of 10 things i want to accomplish in the first 30 minutes of being awake and you know yeah. like but i think especially with this conversation like i never ask people on this podcast about their morning and evening routines to shame them into being like no i don't have any or like i legitimately right. am just curious how normal people just have a day and like what they like to do on a regular basis even down right. to like goofy details like is there a particular cup of coffee you like to make every morning like do you you mentioned you're a coffee person like yeah i um well john and i like french press oh, and yeah. I also, we have an AeroPress as well that we use sometimes. Mm. So I, I like French press because it's really easy, but it's yummy and sure. it makes enough for two people. So it's, it's just, yeah, I, I, we have a little co- uh, coffee station that we set up in our kitchen and oh. I love it. It's like a little cart and it has all the teas and coffees and different things on it. Oh, that's great. Is there a particular coffee roast you like or a specific origin? Um, I'm not really a specific like coffee nerd in okay. terms of that kind of stuff, but <laughs> there's a coffee company in Uganda that had a bunch of, at one point it's called the Becco's brew and they are like local sourced, you know, Ugandan sourced coffee. Mm. And that's really, it's a great, it's a great uh, brew. So I, I like their, I like their stuff, but Excellent. they, I mean, pretty much whatever. I don't have a, I'm not super picky. <laughs> Very fair. This is, this is great. Wow. Mariel, we've been a lot of places. This has been a fantastic conversation today. I've enjoyed myself immensely. Oh, Thanks for having me. This is really great. This was very fun. This was a great excuse to get to know you more. Cause like, as we mentioned, we met at that one beer philosophy and I don't think we've been in the same room since at, at this point it was like, I've been following you on Instagram. I like you on Twitter. It's kind of fun. And I just need to get to know her more. This is good. I mean, like that's what the podcast is about eventually or yeah. anyway, you know, like, yeah. Mm, So good to wind us down here. I'm curious to ask what you are currently reading. Currently reading a lot of school books. Mm-hmm. And I said, I mentioned that book, uh, A Praying Life. Yep. 
Yeah. I, we, John and I have about 50 books scattered around our house that we're like at one point or another picking <laughs> up or putting down or, you know, reading a little bit here and there. So, right. I mean, there's so many different books that we've kind of been sampling. We both kind of do that. So, yeah, I mean, it really depends. I, I've been reading, we read the other day about uh, a book on natural church development, which is a whole, it's a whole framework or a whole series of books, but okay. um, books about basically helping churches to grow holistically to be not super, not so uh, culturally obtuse, maybe, but just more uh-huh. more flexible and more like aware of different different characteristics of different churches that are good and not getting so tribalistic and how you think about this. like this is the one way to do ministry and yeah. I have to do it this way. This and fits you have in to a do lot with way. our conversation today. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, was I can tell that's what's that. on your mind. Yeah, for sure. Great. Are you much of a fiction reader? I used to be, I, I do enjoy fiction. I, I just haven't had as much time for oh, yeah. it, but I really enjoy it. I think especially now that I'm in so much, doing so much nonfiction reading for school, I mm. think it's nice to have like a really refreshing, like fiction books that I can just kind of yeah. get into and be yeah. immersed in. It's a good place to just to like be transported yeah. for a while. Yes. I recently read Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis. Oh yeah. Have you ever read that one? I have not. It's coming oh up on my, my gosh. it's coming up on my reading list though yeah you have to read it it is so good it's really depressing just okay. for a warning for anyone but it is so good largely yeah. because of the end so yeah. just get through it if you can get through it to the last like literally the last oh, like 20 pages okay. will just have you weeping and have you just oh my reframe gosh. how you think of the whole story oh because gosh. it's like it's just this redemptive moment that is really like because the whole book i'm reading through i'm like this is awful like it's so depressing yeah. it seems hopeless what is the point of this book like oh mm. i feel so gross mm. just like it's such a dark book but then when you get to the end you're like oh wow actually this is really beautiful and was totally worth it so that that's all i'm gonna say no yes. spoilers but that but you have to read you have to read it it's that so good. that is my exact experience of a tale of two cities by charles dickens oh that yeah that book just flattened me in the last 30 pages it oh, oh man so good so yeah till we have faces does not read like chronicles of narnia don't expect that no definitely <laughs> not a very different side of Lewis, but it's still him. Yeah. You can still see him popping through, but it, it, it doesn't really feel like him for a lot of the books. It's just, it's really dark. It, it, I guess maybe, no, I would say it's more like screw tape letters style. Okay. Because in yeah. screw tape letters, he gets so deep into like, like the anti-God thinking. Yep. And that's kind of how Till We Have Faces because it's a very pagan society that and all the characters oh. are very pagan. And so you get into that and it's just, it's very, it's just a very different way of viewing the world and humans. That's great. Uh, and again, there's, there's characters, there's, there's scenes that give glimmers of hope in it, but it's, mm. it's definitely more, more of a darker read, but sure. it's, it's really worth it. I think. Very good. What are you currently listening to right now? Let's start with music. Like what do you, what comes up when you Ooh. open Spotify? Oh, let me open Spotify. <laughs> Cause I, I do have like so many different things. I mean, and John yeah. and I share an, an account, which is just funny uh-huh. because okay. we're always like, oh wait, are you, were you listening? Oh shoot. I'll, I, I'm going to, we need to, he just needs to get his own account. But right. anyway, I've been listening lately to Mumford and Sons, that Delta, the Delta uh-huh. album. Okay. It's really good. Yeah. There's a British band, a uh, sister band called the Staves that we've been listening to. They're oh. really good. Okay. John Mark McMillan has a new album mm. out. That's amazing. I like that guy a uh, lot. Oh, he's, have you heard the new album? I have not. Peopled with, peopled with dreams. Mm. Shout out. It's very good. Amazing. And then we listen to a lot of vineyard worship. So um, my husband's a worship leader with a vineyard church, which is, you know, kind of a movement. They don't love the word denomination, but they're kind of a denomination. Yeah. Um, yep. And they have just incredible worship. So if you're into worship music, 
definitely check out Vineyard Worship. They have hmm. a lot of American-based worship artists, but then they also have like Vineyard Nordic Worship or Vineyard UK and Ireland. Ooh, so there's a lot of different, cool. oh, they're amazing. It's, yeah, there's a lot of really cool different different leaders and um, it's amazing. So great, definitely stuff we listen to a lot. What about podcasts? What are you into right now? Yeah. So I, I just more, I kind of get get into podcast phases where I'm like super all about podcasts (laughs) and then I forget about them for like a month or two months (laughs) or longer. So um, my last podcast phase, I was really into, uh, I listened to a few episodes of one called hashtag activism or no, it's called beyond hashtag activism. Ooh. No, actually it's called hashtag act. Sorry. There's a book the author of the podcast wrote called beyond hashtag activism, but okay. it's basically all about getting behind the social media hashtags that you would see for around different movements or different issues and yep. getting kind of into the issues. Like what's behind the scenes, what are the deeper things and who are the people that are really involved in those movements? And then how can we be part of them or support them in some way. So it's really, really good. Um, it's called hashtag activism. Great. Uh, May, Can- May Cannon is the the host of that one. Okay. And then just recently, not it's not a podcast, but I was watching, I've been watching a YouTube series called The Next Question. Oh. And it's hosted by Austin Channing Brown, who's a black yes. woman. Yes. And she has two co-hosts, uh, Chi-Chi Oku and I can't remember the other gal's name, Who? but it's one white gal and two black gals and they're just amazing, amazing women. Oh my gosh, just mm-hmm. fire and awesome, super knowledgeable about especially racial justice issues, kind of the main focus of the series. But they they okay, I have to nerd into this for a second. You can cut this if you want. Go but for it. I the 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 reason that they have this show and the reason it's called the next question is because they are uh tired. Austin Brown, I heard her in an interview, Austin Channing Brown said she is so tired of securing these amazing experts on racial justice issues being pigeonholed into the most basic questions about their field because people haven't done their own work <laughs> to know like what is Jim Crow? What is mass wow. incarceration? And so people who are leading experts in those fields are being asked like, okay, well, you're writing like Michelle Alexander, who wrote a book called The New Jim Crow. A reporter asked her like, oh, so your book's called The New Jim Crow. Can you tell us about the old Jim Crow? Oh my gosh. What? And so she's like, has to spend her time talking about stuff that we should all know about. Yeah. And so, okay. you know, Austin, Austin Channing Brown heard so many people being treated that way and just decided, you know what, I, I need to have, I need to create a space for people to, that we can ask the next question. So we're not sticking with the basics. Mm. We're getting deeper into those, those, whatever, whoever guests we bring into the show, we're getting deeper into their specific area of learning, study, teaching, whatever things they're passionate about. And we're going to get deeper into those. So there's not a lot of fluffy talk. It's a lot of just like, let's hear the good stuff. And I love it. I've only heard a few, but they have Brene Brown on one episode and they have um, other just leading activists or, or, you know, change makers in different issues. Um, Brene Brown's actually the only white person they've had so far that most of them are, mm. are black. So Andre Henry is another one. He's uh, here in Pasadena with the black lives matter movement. So yeah. they've had just oh, a lot of, yeah, they've had a lot of just incredible people and I haven't heard of them all yet, but that's one that I'm like, if I could plug any podcast or show the next question. Absolutely. It's on YouTube. It's not, I don't think it's, they might have it as a podcast, but it's, I've been watching it on YouTube Okay, and it's just really, it's really well done. That's fantastic. Well, my next question is what are you currently watching? So that definitely fits in that YouTube, Mm -hmm. the next question, Mm -hmm. but what about other shows, other movies that you come back to? Like just what are you into? 
That's a good question. Well, so John and I just for the first time ever watched all of Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of it and I'm so into oh it. Oh my gosh, it's oh. so good. I could go on about that show. It's incredible. I've never seen a show like it. It's it's just so good. It's like Lord of the Rings, but in the Eastern context. Right. I think it's, it's similar to that in that it's this epic journey, so much character development and growth so many twists and turns and it's there's like it's fun and there's funny moments but there's not a lot of fluff either like for being a kind of a kid show it's really not i know it's right? not that cheesy or fluffy it's really it's pretty real and it gets into some deep issues yeah like deep stuff i mean there's genocide there's you know propaganda government propaganda there's you know discrimination mm-hmm. and oppression and liberation and then there's how do people within a aggressive warlike nation understand their own selves from the inside yeah and how do they justify like the fire nation how did the fire nation how does fire nation society (laughs) justify what the fire nation does to other nations yep and that's stuff that like if you think about it from again america imperialism Mm. militarism things we've been talking about this Mm. episode like i mean that is very relevant for us as americans we're like oh wait wait is maybe the purpose of school the public school system isn't just to like help us succeed in life maybe it's yeah. also to teach us a way to like think about ourselves that that ameliorates our guilt or at least hides some of the stuff that we don't want to think about yeah i just saw a tweet today saying something about like i just realized that homework is essentially just training our youth to be okay with unpaid overtime and oh my god and and <laughs> desensitize us to the idea of like bringing our work home and neglecting our family while we're at home i was like whoa that is oof (laughs) oof man if i need another excuse to homeschool my kids i don't know right i don't know if i do i mean i don't know if that's gonna happen or not but it (laughs) is something to think about (laughs) right yeah absolutely but okay so avatar the last airbender oh so good what else um what else there I don't know. Um, oh, we just watched Hamilton, of course. Are you obsessed um, was, like I am? I I love it. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not quite obsessed. I'm bordering maybe, oh. but I, I've definitely been thinking a lot about it, singing the songs that get stuck in my head all the time. It's and, pretty much all I play on Spotify right now is that uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. It's and there's just so much relevance, so much relevance to today. And, and of course, you know, like the cast would be the first people to say like it wasn't, it's not like a it's not maybe everything that everybody wants it to be, especially in yeah. terms of social critique, because yep. they don't get deep into some of the topics. And, no. and but but they touch on it, and just having people of color play those roles is revolutionary in and of itself. Yeah. I think it's very cool. So it's not it's not I don't know it's not a sermon, but it's it's a it definitely bears witness to some things yeah. that we need to be thinking about and talking about, and Ooh, yeah. and also it kind yeah. of opens up it, it it exposes like the imperfections too of our of our leaders of our founding fathers and mm, yep. or, you know, yeah, how, how they did or did not live up to maybe even their own ideals like George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. It's easy for us to idolize those guys. It's just like Ugh. as demigods in their own right. It's easy. If you just are, are like, accept the stuff you learn in school, it's easy to do that. But, it, yes. but once you start learning more about their lives or like visiting their homes or, you know, getting kind of the real stories, you're like, mm, Oh my gosh, yep. how did we, how do we look up to these people? Yep. But like, yeah, and of course no one's perfect, but there was some pretty glaring things. Mariel, thank you for the gift of your time today and thank you for the gift of this conversation. It's been a good one. I have a lot of things to think about and I'm very excited about it. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. 
to close us out, would you please read our very favorite quote for the podcast? Yes. The only normal people you know are the ones you don't know very well. Mm-hmm.